Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. I wish this morning that I could tell you that following Jesus would insulate you from all pain and suffering in your life. Uh, In my opinion, way too many people try to tell us, others, that that is true. And then they blame you when you actually do suffer somehow. It's your fault. But honestly, let's, let's speak honestly here. Life can be hard. Life actually can be very, very hard. Suffering in this life can actually be more than you could even imagine at this moment. I I think the suffering of the Ukrainian people now is probably hard for us to quantify. It's probably hard for us to imagine. We think we know, but I don't think that we do know. And I assure you that some of the people that are suffering in Ukraine right now, they are our brothers and our sisters They are part of Jesus' kingdom, and they are suffering uh, severely. The promise of God in this life, in my opinion, and this this is the only promise I think that God has ever made us in this this subject area, is, is not that we won't suffer, but that we will never face the storms of suffering alone. That we'll never have to face them without him being there with us, without God watching, without God reaching, without God caring for us. And I think we're going to see those three truths illustrated in the story that we're going to look at um, this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Mark 6, 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. You'll remember that last week, Jesus had wanted to retreat with his disciples. He had, he had planned a getaway for them so they could uh, recharge their spiritual and maybe physical batteries after having been on this uh, you know, tour of leading people to the kingdom. But uh, instead, Jesus and his disciples had spent the whole day serving others. They began by serving others, by teaching them. You know, I think I was a little bit negligent last week in what I talked about because I sort of glossed over this first part and focused on the meeting of needs, right? And I talked about serving others. So it's not that Jesus wasn't serving them, but if you look at the text from last week, and I'm not going there, but if you look back at it, it says he served them by teaching them. So he spent the whole day teaching them. That's how he served them. And then he actually served them food. So it was an awesome day. It was an awesome day for all of those people. But I imagine it was an exhausting day for Jesus and his disciples. So Mark tells us that after dinner, Jesus makes his disciples leave without him. The Greek word there for make them, makes them leave, they say it's an extremely hard word. In other words, he is compelling them. He is forcefully telling them, you will leave. Now, they didn't want to leave. I'm sure they didn't want to leave. Jesus is saying, you go on, I'm staying behind. They didn't want to do that. But how do you say no to the king, right? How do you say no to Jesus? And at some point, they stopped complaining, stopped arguing, stopped resisting, and they left. And it tells us that Jesus sent them back to Bethsaida. 
Most everybody believes that they've sailed by Bethsaida on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. They've sailed by it, probably trying to find a place in the wilderness beyond Bethsaida where they could retreat. But the people of Bethsaida and others who had seen them followed along the shore. There's just speculation, right? They just followed along the shoreline. So when they decided to come ashore, the crowd, uh, the crowd had been there. So he's sending them back to uh, Bethsaida. Verse 46. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. I think other gospel stories, by the way, this is the only story that appears in all four gospels. This is the only miracle that appears in all four gospels. And if we, if we look at the other gospels, you know, Jesus stays behind and dismisses the crowd. I think it's John's gospel. I, I don't remember and I didn't look this up, but in one of them it talks about how they're trying to make him king, right? They're trying to take him by force. Maybe he was, I don't, I don't know why he sent his disciples on, but he did. He sent them away and he dismisses the crowd. They finally leave and it tells us that he went up on a mountain to pray. Goes off to pray. Jesus needed Jesus obviously needed a communion with the Father, and he needed communion with the Spirit. God is one being. We say this a lot. God is one ontological being, like we're one being, but he is not like us in that he is three persons. And the person of Jesus had emptied himself, the Bible says, and had become like us, had become one of us, actually, in the incarnation. And now this second person of this ontological being we know as Yahweh, he needed connection with God. And so he stays behind so that he can have connection with the Father and the Spirit. But things weren't going so well for the disciples. Most everyone believes they would have stayed close to the shore, right? Bethsaida's not too far from where they were. And um, they would have stayed close to the shore, but they're not close to the shore anymore. They're out in the middle of the sea. A storm has come up quickly. We've talked about that before. Storms come up quickly on the Sea of Galilee. And they have been blown away from the shore. And they have not been able to overcome the winds that have blown against them. And so they're far off from the shore. And this brings us to the first truth that, uh, from that night. That I want your heart and my heart to just latch on to this morning. I've got three truths that I want your heart and my heart to latch onto, and I promise you, you're all going to need this. You might need it now, you might need it tomorrow, maybe you've already needed it, but we're all going to need these three truths, and then you need to latch onto them. Here's the first one. You are never out of God's sight. No matter what the storm, God sees you. Nancy, if you listen to this, God sees you. Verse 47. And when evening came, the boat was out to sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were, uh, he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And they were miles out to sea. I think it's John's gospel tells us. It's a stormy night. It's in the middle of the night. And the text tells us that Jesus sees them. Now, one commentator I read this week, he made the, st he made the statement that Jesus could see them by the moonlight. They're miles out to sea. He's up on, on the side of the mountain, and he could see them by the moonlight on the sea. 
I, mean, I respect this commentator. I mean, I, I, I love him. I'd recommend him to all of you. But I think he's wrong in this point. I, I don't think Jesus could see them with his human eyes, with his optical nerve. I don't think he could see them miles out to sea in the middle of the night. Some believe that Jesus retained his omniscience when he became human. So Jesus knew everything. Jesus could see everything all the time because he was God. And as I've made this point over and over again, and I'm going to make it yet again, though Jesus was fully, fully, fully God, I believe that in the kenosis of Jesus, that's the Greek word that means emptying. Philippians chapter 2, it says Jesus emptied himself, right? Though he was equal with God, he considered equality with God not something to be grasped, but emptied himself, it says. The kenosis of Jesus. I believe that though he retains his full deity, Jesus has emptied himself of his God attributes, at least many of them, because he doesn't have a choice in becoming human. I, I don't believe that in his humanity, Jesus was omnipotent. I don't believe that in his, um, in his humanity, he was omnipresent. He was everywhere. I think everybody agrees with Alan, right? I don't believe that he was omniscient in his humanity. Please, please don't hear me saying that he's any less God. I'm not saying that. You say, well, how can he not have his attributes? Because the nature of God, I think, is not his abilities so much as it's who he is. So how did he see them if he didn't see them because he's God and he can take his God eyes and see them? How did he see them? I think he sees them because God is omniscient. I think he sees them because the Spirit is omniscient. And the Father is omniscient. And I believe, and I'm convinced of this, that every miraculous thing that Jesus did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's that's just what I believe the Scripture teaches. And I take that from a number of places, namely Acts 10.38, I think it is. It's, It's Acts 10, I'm not sure the verse, where it says, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. I think he did everything by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when he saw them that night, I think it was... The Holy Spirit that was enabling Jesus to somehow see them. But one day, listen to me carefully, one day we're going to know for sure all these things. The Bible says right now we're seeing how through a what? Say it. A dark glass, right? So we don't see very well. But the point still remains, regardless of how he did it. The point is this. God always sees you. God always sees you. A robber breaks into a house and he's prowling around with a flashlight. And as he's prowling there, he hears a voice behind him that says, I see you and Jesus sees you. He stops and freezes. Before he can move, he hears it again. I see you and Jesus sees you. He slowly turns back around with his flashlight and he sees a parrot in a cage. And the parrot says, I see you, and Jesus sees you. And he's relieved. He's relieved, except he hears a growl. He takes his flashlight and points it down at the base of the parrot, and there's a pit bull there. And the parrot says, I see you, and Jesus sees you. Sick him, Jesus! <laughs> Listen, here's my point. I got a point to that story. Here's my point. When I say Jesus sees you, I bet you some of you think Jesus sees you just so he can nail you. Jesus sees you just so he can, he's like the pit bull 
that he's always watching you so he can, so he can uh, get you. Others think we talk too much about Jesus in the storm. I, I listened to one commentator who uh, I greatly, greatly admire, and he said that I should not preach on this truth of Jesus seeing us in the storm because we just did that a few weeks ago. You remember that story when the, Jesus is asleep in the boat and we talked about the storms of our life and how, you remember, but Jesus isn't even in the boat this time, right? So I could make a difference there, but I think, I think that brother's wrong too. I, I think there are times when we're in serious trouble. We're in serious trouble and we, we need to hear this because we wonder is God seeing me? Does God know what's going on in my life? Does he actually see me? And that may be you today. Seriously, that may be you today. And you may need to be encouraged this morning that Jesus sees you. Some of you in this room may be rowing against the wind. And you're, you're rowing against the wind, not because you've sinned against God, but you're rowing against the wind because you actually have sought to be obedient to God. And as a result of that, you're rowing against the wind, sort of like the disciples. I just want you to know, I want you to hear me this morning. Jesus sees you. When my kids come to my house now, it's different than when I was, when Ann and I had the little ones. They have monitors they have monitors. So my grands are in three or four different rooms, and everybody's got a monitor. So they're looking at their children. And I want to tell you something. They're watching their kids not to smack them. They're, they're watching their kids because they love them. And they're watching their kids to make sure everything is okay with them so that they know everything is okay. When Jesus told Nathanael, while you were under the tree, I saw you. Remember that John chapter 3, I think it is? Or John chapter 2, maybe? Um, what if he's speaking to doubts that Nathanael may have been having, right? What if he's speaking to doubts that Nathanael may have voiced to God at some point in the past, sitting under a tree? God, do you even see me? Do you even know what's going on in my life? What if, what if Jesus was speaking to that when he said, when you were under the tree, I saw you. Could be. The Bible proclaims that God sees everything and he knows everything. He sees the sparrow that falls in the woods. He sees you. Proverbs 15.3, the Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. Second Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. How about David, Psalm 139? I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If, if I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the furthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Jesus saw them that night. And I know you're thinking, okay, Jimmy, you've labored this enough. I'm almost done. But I want you to hear me. Jesus sees you today. And if you're rowing against the wind, he knows it and he sees you. Jesus, the God-man, had not abandoned his disciples to the wind. He knew exactly where they were and how to deliver them. And that brings us to the second thing. Here's the second truth that I hope will rivet itself to my heart and to yours. You are never out of God's reach. 
It wasn't just that Jesus could see them. Jesus could reach them. And Jesus can reach you. Verse 48. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Jesus came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And he cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. The fourth watch is between 3 and 6 a.m., Assuming the disciples left at dark, it's summertime, no daylight savings, they could have been rowing as much as seven hours at this point and not making it to Bethsaida, which would have been a short, a short distance. Um, they've been rowing for maybe seven hours. Jesus is a long way away from them. John says miles, separated by a large body of water, and yet Jesus can reach them because Jesus walks on water. Here's what the disciples did not know, and here's what a lot of times we don't know either. They did not know that Jesus was watching them. They did not know that. And they did not know that Jesus could reach them out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Okay? And they did not know that he was actually already on his way to them. They did not know any of that. When you and I are rowing against the wind and suffering a lot, we've got to be careful not to forget that Jesus sees us and that he can reach us. But regardless of your situation... God can reach you. Jesus is walking on water. It's a true miracle. He is demonstrating the power of God because in the Old Testament, only God could walk on water. Job 9, 8, it says, God alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the waves of the sea. So Jesus is doing a miracle to demonstrate his nature, who he is as God, all right? So I don't know that we think this. I know we don't think this when we're reading this. But in the story, and where I just read you, where Mark records for us, it says, and he intended to pass by. What an odd thing to say, right? He intended, yoo-hoo, I'm over here. I'll see you when you get to the other side. Or how about this one? Ha-ha, catch me if you can, right? When we think of he intended to pass by, that's sort of what we think. But is that what Mark thought you think you think mark means that jesus intended to just go by them and leave them there Uh, obviously not so there's another way of understanding that intended or that he he, when it says he intended to pass by them Um, and maybe maybe to mark's readers they would have got this right did you know that that same greek construction is used in the old testament septuagint several times and in each of the times it's used it's talking about god revealing himself to some of his servants. So to Moses, God said, hey, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I am going to pass by and you will see my glory, whatever that meant to Moses, right? How about Elijah in 1 Kings 19.11? God says, I'm about to pass by and you will see my glory. What if What Mark is trying to convey is not that Jesus was trying to skip by without them seeing him. What if he's trying to say Jesus intended to pass by them his glory and his nature? That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to reveal to them by coming to them walking on the water. He wanted to pass the glory of God by them so that they would know clearly who he is. But they miss it. Instead, they're terrified. Instead of seeing the glory of God and Jesus walking to them on water, when Jesus reaches them, the word actually there in the Greek is phantasm, 
or phantasma, which, from which we get phantasm, right? So what they think is that, so this, is what, this, is, this is Jimmy, this is other commentators tell us that Jews of Jesus, they believed in sea demons. And evidently what they thought was that Jesus was a sea demon, that he was a phantasm. Jesus wanted to reveal his glory, his nature, by reaching them when no one else could reach them, and by walking on water, which only God did, did and instead they mistook him for a demon. Do you know today that you are always in the reach of God? But listen to me carefully. As I thought about this, and as I'm, I'm working through the text this week, I had a thought. It's different for us now. It's not like God has to reach me now. It's not like whatever I'm going through, God has to walk on water to make his way to me. This is what he's promised me and he's promised you. I'll never leave you. I will always be with you. He can reach us because he's actually right there with us. And when he left, he left us his spirit to say, I'm never going to leave you. Never going to leave you. We're reading about Samson this morning. The spirit came, spirit left, spirit came, spirit left. The spirit's not going to leave us. He's, he's going to be with us. And yet we can be like the 12 guys here, right? Like these disciples. We can be like them and we can forget that, uh, that God is with us, that he can reach us, that he's with us in the midst of that. You know, forgive me for this, but it just came to mind and I just, I want to tell it to you again. I've told it to you numerous times, so it's not my dementia. I know I'm telling it to you again, okay? Um, but you remember when Shep died, we couldn't bury him like we planned because of the hurricane that had come through and the ground was saturated and, and we were going to bury him on Wednesday, not on, not, not Saturday, like Friday like it was the intention. And on that particular Wednesday when we were going to bury Shep, I mean, it was going to be Anne and myself and my mother, and that was it, and, and the people from, uh, from the funeral home. We, we were going to bury Shep. And I, I know if I'd have asked all of you, you'd all would have come, et cetera. But I didn't ask anybody, and, you know. And, um, but I'll admit, you know, that when we went to get Shep out of the, out of the um, what do you call it, limousine or whatever that thing is, and, and I'm helping the, 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 when I'm thinking about helping the guys, I was, kind of, I, I was kind of alone. I was kind of feeling lonely. And I remember I looked up, and I know I've told you this, I looked up, and there's my brother Alan. He'd come. I didn't know he was coming. But I remember in that moment, it was like God was saying to me, you're not alone. How I use my brother that way? Why I use my brother that way? I don't know. But that was what happened to me. You are not alone when Alan showed up that day, right? I, I want you to know this morning, you are not alone. When you're rowing against the wind and it seems like God doesn't see you and that God can't reach you, you are not alone. He's already there. He's not leaving you. He's not forsaking you. Don't lose sight of that. And it brings me to the final truth that I want your heart and my heart to grab hold of is you are never out of God's compassion. Verse 50. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. 
In their terror, Jesus says to them, take heart. And the command is take heart. It's to be brave. Put off your fear. Put off your fear. And in the midst of it, he tells them why. Jesus says, it is I. Now, it's funny about that Greek statement there. It is I. can be translated, it is I. But it can also be translated, I am It's exactly the same phrase that Jesus used with the Pharisees when they say, are you trying to say you're older than Abraham? And you remember Jesus answered them, I tell you the truth before Abraham was ever born, I am, right? It's the same statement that the Septuagint uses to translate what God said to Moses when Moses said, who do I say is sending me? And God said, I am we know that as Yahweh. Yahweh, I am, is, is sending. It's the same statement there. Could Jesus be saying to them, don't be afraid because I am. Because I am God. Most commentators, most evangelical followers of Jesus think that's what Jesus was trying to say. And by implication, when he says, I am, he's saying, I am God, I care for you. Don't be afraid. Let all your fears come to an end. I love you, I've got you. I am compassionate to you. And then after comforting his disciples, it says that he gets in the boat and the wind stops and all their troubles and all their fear and all their struggle, it dissipates. Man, I'm telling you, this morning as we've been singing the songs that that Michael picked, and, and then and there was something else we, we did this morning that as I'm listening, you know, the songs, they all, and, oh, I know what it was, it was Keith's word to us about setting your mind on the Lord. That the songs that we sang said, basically, if we keep our mind on him, all fear dissipates, all fear goes away. It's hard, though. It's hard when you're rowing against the wind to keep your mind on him. But when he gets in the boat with us, all their fears and their struggles end. Now I'm not going to insult you by saying that following Jesus means that you still won't be rowing against the wind. You'll still be rowing against the wind necessarily, maybe. But there is something that happens, something that happens when I know that Jesus loves me and Jesus cares for me and I'm having to face the wind. There's just something about knowing that that changes things. There's a peace. Did you say this, Keith, or was it in the songs? There's a peace that passes all our understanding and it guards our minds and it, and it makes all the sea demons go away and instead we see the glory of God pass by and we know that he's in the boat with us and he's going to see me through Whatever it is, whatever I'm I'm in, he's going to see me through it. Now, verse 52 tells us that while the disciples were terrified amidst the sea, they didn't get it. Look at that verse again, into 51, 52. They were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Another strange statement by Mark. 
What does that mean? Well, I'm going to tell you, a lot of people don't, we, nobody really knows what Mark meant by that, that they didn't get the loaves thing, right? I mean, is there some kind of secret message in the, in the loaves? You know, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think, and this is just Jimmy, but I think Mark is saying they still don't get it yet that Jesus is the creator that Jesus is actually God become one of us. They just still don't get it. Their hearts still don't get it. John writes that Jesus as the word of God is the creator of all things. So Jesus, the, the, the second person of this ontological being we call Yahweh or God, in, in, before becoming like us, he is the creator. He's the one that's the creator of everything, it says to us. He's the one that created everything. John tells us that. And in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus creates food. And I know you're going to say, well, you, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, man. He had five loaves and two fishes. He did not create food. Listen, Jesus didn't take five loaves and two fishes and make a, a fish casserole. He created fish and bread to feed 5,000 men, so more than 5,000 people. Here's my point. They missed the fact that Jesus is creating food out of whole cloth. I mean, he's, he's making food out of nothing. They're missing the fact somehow that Jesus is our creator. They just, I think what Mark's trying to say is they just don't get it. Jesus is God the creator and they don't understand that yet and they're terrified. And uh, they're probably upset with Jesus because they're in the mess that they're in. They're in that mess because Jesus sent them on without him. That's probably what they're thinking, right? Perspective changes everything. If we know that God sees and we know that God can reach us or is with us now, and we know that he cares, then we don't have to be afraid or discouraged. Please don't misunderstand. I know it's not easy not to be scared, and it's, e it's not easy not to um, struggle in all of this, but if our creator is with us and he loves us, we don't have to be afraid. And we find, one of the, again, one of the songs we sang this morning, we, we find him to be sufficient in the midst of all of that. It's interesting, isn't it? This story begins with the compassion of Jesus. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, it says. And he had compassion on them. And now we see him having compassion on his dull disciples who still don't get it. And then the chapter ends with Jesus having compassion yet again. Verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to, land, to the land at Gennesaret. Well, if you look at your maps, everyone, Gennesaret is way, way away from uh, Bethany or where, not Bethany, where was he sending them? Bethsaida. Yeah, Bethsaida, thank you. Uh, it's way away from Bethsaida, okay? And they came to Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds uh, to wherever they heard he was and wherever he came. Uh, in villages, cities, countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. Where do you think they got that from? They got that from the woman, the woman uh, who was bleeding, right? Remember how she touched just the fringe of his garment? And as many touched it were made well. One of the greatest qualities of the life of Jesus was as God, his being willing to enter into our human situation and, and, and in our suffering to have compassion on us and to care 
for us. It compelled him to teach us. It compelled him to help us. It compelled him to heal us. Jesus was never detached or indifferent to our suffering. And I say this and I believe it by faith. God is not detached or uh, uncaring even about our suffering now. I don't, I don't believe he's indifferent to it now. People, people were never a nuisance to Jesus, but an opportunity for him to serve. Weldon Warnock wrote this. If there was one thing the ancient world needed, it was compassion, pity, and mercy. There was no concern for the sick and feeble. We read this in our history books. There was no concern for the sick and the feeble, no provision for the aged, no feeling for the mentally and emotionally disturbed. Christ, however, in his appearance, brought love, affection, and care to a world of apathy and complacency. Compassion was an outstanding feature of Jesus, and he was often, the Bible says, often moved to compassion. I end with this, Psalm 103, 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord has compassion to those who fear him. So as we read through the Bible, we learn about God. And may these three truths, just again, may they rivet themselves to your heart. Because see, some of you need these three truths today. I mean, you need it now. Because you're rowing against the wind. And some of you are going to need these things tomorrow. Or maybe next week. Or maybe a year from now. You are never out of God's sight because God sees you. You are never out of God's reach because Jesus, by his spirit, is with you. And you are never out of God's compassion because God is love. If you feel lost this morning, like a sheep without a shepherd, then I would say to you, turn to Jesus this morning. If you are rowing against the wind, turn to Jesus. If you are suffering and need help, turn to Jesus. Let's bow our heads. And I invite you to turn to Jesus. Right where you're sitting in the quietness of that moment, just turn to Jesus. He sees you. He's with you. He wants to reach you. I think it's so neat to think of those disciples probably under their breath, super irritated with Jesus, and they don't know it, but he's on his way to them. Maybe Jesus is on his way to do something spectacular in your life. Maybe he's not going to do anything spectacular. Maybe he's just going to be there and he's going to carry you. But see him. When he passes by you in his glory, don't mistake him for somebody else. Turn to Jesus in your heart. Just cry out to him. If you're watching remotely, I don't know why, this just crossed my mind. If you're watching remotely, this is just as true for you sitting in your living room watching this as it is for us sitting here together gathered as God's people. Cry out to Jesus where you are. God, thank you for seeing me. Thank you for reaching me. And thank you for caring for me. And we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.